Thank you, Sandy. My name is Brian. I'm one of the pastors here. We are married. Um, we enjoy working together as well as doing life together. It is fantasy football season. Wow. I didn't know all of you were such big fans. So I, uh, I, didn't, I was not a fantasy football player, uh, but the last couple of years I've gotten into fantasy football because of my boys in particular, my daughter uh, as well. And so I'm in two leagues now this year. Uh, I've got a family league and I've got a father-son league that I'm a part of. And in my father-son league last week, going into Monday night, we were up by over 20 points. Now, if you know anything about fantasy football, players can score anywhere from, I don't know, about five to about 40 points. Um, and they had two players left. So there was a possibility that we could win. Unfortunately, one of their players scored 25 points, and we lost. It's really hard to depend on other people. Have you found that true in your life? It can be really hard to depend on other people, even in fa fantasy football. I find this is also true uh, with my kids playing sports. I watch my kids play sports, and I love my kids, and I want them to do so well. And inevitably, you know, we're not perfect, my kids aren't perfect, and I can't do anything except watch them and encourage them and cheer them on. It is so hard to depend on people and encourage them. Well, uh, interestingly enough, dependence uh, is a word that we can look up in the dictionary, and the definition is a state of relying on or being controlled by someone or something else. This sounds kind of negative, would you agree? It's not something that we really usually aspire to. Like, let's depend on other people. But in today's story, as we look at a story of Jesus in the book of Luke, we're going to see that Jesus is going to go into the wilderness. He's going to go into the des desert. And the question is, as he gets tested, who or what is he going to rely on? So if you want to open up your Bible, we're going to be in Luke chapter 4 today. We are in a series that Sandy mentioned with Community Bible Experience where we're encouraging you to read through the entire New Testament over the course of the next eight weeks. We have this fancy Bible to go with it uh, that she mentioned, and uh, it puts it in chronological order, so it's a little bit different than maybe the Bible that you might be holding today, and there's nothing wrong with either of those. But we're going to read it chronologically, and the, this particular version removes, if you look at inside of it, it removes all of the chapter and verse markings. Uh, so it makes it a little bit more interesting for those of you who have maybe grown up reading the Bible. It puts it a little bit more in a story format, which is kind of exciting uh, and makes you sort of see things in a new way. And as a church, throw this down here, uh, we're going to be preaching through that as a pastoral team on Sunday morning. So we'll select uh, a text or maybe a few texts from the reading that we'll be doing during the week. So this week we're going to be reading uh, the book of Luke. And so we're going to be preaching out of the book of Luke this morning. So Luke chapter 4, uh, verses 1 through 13. It says, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil he ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them, he was hungry. So let's take a moment to kind of get ourselves oriented to this passage and kind of get some context of what's happening around this. So in the previous passage, if you're reading through the book of Luke, you're going to notice that Luke is establishing two very important things as he enters into this passage. 
The first of those is Jesus' divinity. The fact that Jesus is fully God. And we see that in the baptism. So Jesus gets baptized, and at the end of the baptism, the heavens open up, and God speaks in an audible voice that people hear, and he says, This is my Son, in whom I am well pleased. And Jews would have understood, the people standing around would have understood that that meant that this person, Jesus, was divine. In fact, the readers would have understood that. Now, the second thing that we see after his baptism is a list of a whole bunch of names of people. And what Luke is doing is he's establishing the lineage of Jesus. He's, taking, he's following Jesus back through all of the names of fathers, back all the way to Adam. And it says, Adam, who was the son of God. And what he is doing in those two things, by tracing that lineage back, is he's demonstrating that Jesus was also fully human. This is a paradox that we have in Christianity. Jesus is fully God and fully human at the same time. And these two things are important because sometimes we are tempted to emphasize one over the other. So we may emphasize Jesus' divinity and ignore or minimize his humanity. And what happens when we do that At best, we sort of think of him as a superhuman. But it makes him totally unrelatable to us. So Jesus is fully human. That's very important. We can flip that around, and some may be tempted to think of Jesus' humanity more than his divinity and ignore or minimize his divinity. But when we do that, we strip Jesus of his authority and his power. So we want to hold both of these in tension. Jesus is fully God and fully human at the very same time. This is a paradox and a mystery that we hold, a tension that we carry in Christianity. So Luke is setting this up as we enter into this passage, and he says at the beginning of this passage, Jesus was full of the Holy Spirit. And then it says he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. And we might ask, why? Why is the Spirit leading Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted? Well, here's a few potential answers to that. Number one, the wilderness is a part of the story of Israel. If we go back uh, and look, we can see that in the book of Exodus. The Israelites wandered around the desert for about 40 years. Wilderness, and the word that they used for wilderness in this particular text, actually has this meaning of solitary or loneliness sort of being alone. And there are numerous other places in Scripture where we see this wilderness idea playing out in the story of Israel. We're going to mention the two most important for our passage today, one of which is Adam and Eve were placed in the garden, in a wilderness. They were alone. The second of which I already mentioned is which Israel was in the desert, wandering around for about 40 years. Now, part of the wilderness experience is temptation. Adam and Eve faced that temptation with a tree in the middle of the garden, and they took and ate of the fruit. Israel was tempted while they were in the desert to go back to Egypt. They complained, they grumbled about the fact that they didn't have any food. And they said, man, it was better in Egypt. Let's just go back there where at least we had food. 
And what Luke is showing by demonstrating these things is that wilderness and temptation are a part of the human experience. Every one of us is going to face a wilderness moment, if not our entire life. Every one of us is going to face temptation at some point in our life. It is part of the human experience. And the question that we want to ask ourselves is, how will we respond to our wilderness experience? So for Luke, what's at stake here is what does it mean that Jesus is fully God and fully human, that tension that we identified? And how is the divinity of Jesus going to manifest itself in the midst of this? Is he going to be the conquering hero who overcomes things through his superhuman powers, which is what many people were hoping for in a Messiah figure? And is he going to overcome evil and temptation as a human? So let's take a look at what Luke tells us. Continuing in verse 3, it says, The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone. The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world, and he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me, and anyone Uh, and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you would worship me, it will all be yours. Now, a quick note about the devil here. The world does not belong to the devil. Let me clarify that. The devil is a usurper of power. So the devil deceives humans and grabs hold of their agency in order to take over the world. And at most, the devil could offer political or military power. Which, of course, as we mentioned, most Jews would have liked him to do because they wanted him to overthrow Rome. But we'll see that that's not the Jesus way as we continue the story. So Jesus answered, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, and this is from Psalms, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Nice that he threw in some scripture for him. Jesus answered, It is said, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished tempting, he left him until an opportune time. So we're going to make some key observations in this text. The first one is that every temptation that Jesus faced questioned his identity as the Son of God. That very important thing that we identified at the beginning. Is Jesus truly divine? The temptations also invite Jesus to move towards independence instead of dependence. And this story mirrors the story of Israel in the wilderness. So when the, stor- when the Israelites did not have food in the wilderness, they grumbled and they complained. And they said, let's go back to Egypt. It's better there. They didn't trust God. And when they didn't hear from God and Moses along the way, 
they formed an idol in the, in the form of a golden calf. And when they lacked water, they put God and Moses to the test. But we see here that Jesus responds in this story with scripture to each one of these. And the reference that he's going to, to quote these, are all wilderness story references. Jesus is pointing back to that wilderness experience to defeat the devil. And in every place that Israel failed, Jesus prevails. But not in the way that we would expect. He didn't conquer evil and temptation by obliterating it or submitting to it. Instead, he looked to the Holy Spirit. He looked to God. He looked to God the Father to meet his needs. Now Luke is also setting up a comparison between Jesus and Adam. This is the second story that's of importance to us from the Old Testament. And Jesus here, Luke is setting up to be the new Adam. So where Adam failed in the garden by eating the fruit of the tree of knowledge, trying to grab hold of knowledge and define it for himself, to define good and evil himself, Jesus said, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to move to independence. Jesus chose to depend on God. Jesus could have totally turned the stone into bread. He certainly needed food. We saw in the passage it said that he was hungry and he hadn't eaten. But instead, he looked to God for his source of food. And the difference between Jesus and Adam is that Jesus depended on God. And Adam tried to grab it for himself, tried to claim independence. Jesus was willing to submit to God, the will of God, whatever that was. And we too can prevail over temptation by submitting ourselves to God, to the, to the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit will guide us into all truth. And the question that we have before us today and every day is, what will you do when you are in the wilderness? Will you, will I, will we, like Israel or Adam, put our trust in something other than God? Or will we put our trust in God, submit ourselves to God's will? In the covenant, it's our denomination that we're a part of, we call that a conscious dependence on the Holy Spirit. It's the kind of dependence that you can think about that a child has. A child is completely dependent on their parents. My kid this week, even though he is now nine years old, can't get himself to soccer practice without me. He is dependent on me. And similarly, we submit our will to the will of Christ, whatever that may be. So what does it look like for us to submit our will to the will of Christ and become dependent on the Holy Spirit like a child? Prayer is a big part of that. Prayer is an act of dependence. Sometimes we're taught to bow our heads or to kneel down in our prayers. And these are good things to think about. They're not necessary, but they're good because they remind us that we can be humble. 
that we can put our dependence on God. It recognizes our need for God. And it makes us aware of the Holy Spirit's activity. So prayer is a part of that. The Celts are great at this. I love uh, the Celts. They have a prayer for everything. They have a prayer for milking the cows, for doing the dishes, for get, you know, making your bed in the morning. Um, you know, whatever it is, they have a prayer for it. In fact, they've even developed some prayers, prayers of the hours um, that my family has done from time to time in our lives. And what I love about it is that it's a practical way to be conscious that God is at work in everything that we do. And we can join the Celts in doing that. We can say a prayer for everything that we do. It's not required, but it can be a helpful discipline for us to do from time to time. And sometimes I'll do that. I'll do the prayer of the hours just to remind myself. And the prayer of the hours are morning, noon, and evening, generally around the mealtimes, which is, for me, when I feel most dependent and I'm reminded, oh yeah, I need something outside of myself um, to help me. It's a reminder that I need God. Without the practices, we forget um, that we are related to each other, that we are related to God, and that we need um, someone. Um, and we move towards independence. And we try to you know, move towards that self-reliance. Another place that I think we can submit our will to the will of God is through taking risks, sort of spiritual risks. It's often how we grow. When we take a risk, in our spiritual life. And so for some of that, some of you that might look like inviting a friend to church. That's a spiritual risk for you, but it can be a way for you to grow and depend on God. For some of you, you may say, oh man, I could never see myself leading a small group of people, maybe a community Bible experience. That just would blow my mind up, but maybe you feel the call of God saying, maybe you should do that. And you go, okay, I'm going to take a risk on this. And you see God show up in your life. Well, I want to encourage you to be like Jesus today. Jesus was fully God and fully human, but we want to be like Jesus and his humanity, trusting and depending on the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 5 uh, verse 8 tells us that we are to be filled with the Holy Spirit, just as Jesus was filled with the Holy Spirit. And that filled has this idea of both being continually filled and continuously filled. And how that happens is a bit of a mystery, but it begins at our baptism when the Holy Spirit comes on us in the same way that it began for Jesus when the Holy Spirit came on him at his baptism. So if you haven't been baptized, it's one of the things that you can do. You can be baptized, you can join the faith, and the Holy Spirit will come on you. And it's a bit of a mystery but it helps us to depend on God. You can also invite the Holy Spirit anytime you want to fill you. Any day, and this is something that I've been working on during the week, to daily ask the Holy Spirit. This is something that I've never really done in my life before because I've just sort of thought like, hey, the Holy Spirit is with me. The Holy Spirit came on me when I was baptized and the Holy Spirit is with me. But this week, as I, or a couple weeks ago, as we were prepping for this message as a, as a team, Pastor Brad over at Crossview Howard Drive said, you know what, I, I ask for the Spirit to come on me daily. And I thought, I've never done that. I'm going to try that. So it's something I've been trying to see what the Spirit would lead me into during the week. And you could try that too, inviting the Holy Spirit to act and work in your life as a way of depending on what God um, would have you do. 
So I want to encourage you to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And then the second thing I want to encourage you uh, to do is to submit to the will of God. Now, the way that you are able to submit to the will of God is through the Holy Spirit, but also through knowing what the will of God is. And Romans chapter 12, verse 2 tells us how we can know the will of God. It says, We are to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. Then we will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And that renewing of the mind has the sense of us intellectually learning and growing and seeking out God. And so one of the ways that we do that is through the study of Scripture. And how perfect is it that we are starting this eight-week reading through the New Testament? So I invite you to consider, if you are not already committed to it, to commit to reading through, excuse me, as much of the New Testament as you can. Uh, We have these fancy books that we can give you. You can get it online. We have an audio version that you can get online. Uh, All of that is on the card. You can look at that and uh, jump in with us. And as we said, grace paced. Do it as you can. Isaiah says that the word of God will not return void. So it doesn't matter how much you read. Whatever you read is going to be helpful for you to know what the will of God is, to learn what God's good and pleasing and perfect will is. So, invite you into that. I think back to when I was in college. Uh, My campus ministry leader invited me as we were learning about this thing that we called a God investigation group. And she invited me to consider leading a group of college students through a Bible study. And it wasn't just any group of students. She invited me uh, to lead a group of people who didn't know Jesus, who weren't following Jesus to read the Bible. And if I'm honest, I thought she was a little crazy. I thought, okay, I can see, you know, Christians, you know, some of them struggle to study the Bible. Why would somebody who's not a Christian want to study the Bible? It seemed crazy to me. Well, I prayed along with my campus ministry leader, and I felt like God was saying, yes, this is something that I'd like you to take a spiritual risk in, to depend on me and to trust me for. So I said, okay, all right, I'm going to get some friends together to help me out with this so it's not just me. So I gathered three of my friends, and we started to prepare for this. And the first thing that we did is we took out our notebook and we made a list of all of our friends that we knew that didn't know who Jesus was or maybe didn't know how much God loved them. And we started praying for them on a regular basis. That was a safe thing to do. I was still scared of my mind when we got to the point where we said, okay, we're ready to do this. We're going to go out and invite our friends to do this thing with us. I was so scared that I didn't even invite my friends, but fortunately we had partnered up and my friend did invite some friends. (laughs) I did eventually get around to inviting some friends, uh, but my friend... My partner uh, was the one who did most of the inviting. Thank, uh, thank God for her. Well, uh, what happened over the course of the next uh, six weeks was pretty amazing to me. Uh, in fact, we had asked for six weeks of studying the Bible together. This is eight with the you know, New Testament study. This particular one was six weeks. At the end of the six weeks, as we were chatting, uh, my friends who had come to the study, who were someplace on their spiritual journey, all said, wait a second, you mean we're going to end this thing? We want to continue doing this. 
So it continued on and on uh, through the rest of the year. And at the end of that year, every one of those people had been transformed in some way, shape, or form by our study. Uh, they were going to church. They were coming to our large group meeting for our campus ministry. Um, and some of them had moved into professing Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And it reminded me that God is the one who is at work. He uses me, but God is the one who is at work. And I can depend on him. And when God is calling me to do something, God will be faithful to be there and to walk with me in that. So as we start this new church, as we, are, you know, we have started, uh, but we are still in the process of starting, God is faithful in being here with us. I believe that God has called us uh, to do this, and we can trust in God in this process. It's a spiritual risk for us as a community, uh, but we get to join God in doing that. Let's pray. God, thank you that you are with us, that you call us to depend on you and that you are dependable. We need you. Each of us needs you in different ways. We go into our wilderness experiences sometimes daily. And we have that sense that we need someone or something to help us out. And we know that you are faithful and that your son Jesus demonstrated how we can depend on you. Help us to be more and more like Jesus. Help us as a community, as this church community, as a Crossview Rosa Parks community, to put our trust in you as we step out in faith in the ways that you are calling us to join you. Help us to take those spiritual risks. Help us to follow you. Even as we think about studying uh, the New Testament over the course of the next eight weeks, uh, would you encourage us and help us along the way? We pray these things in your good and awesome and holy name. Amen.